0: Welcome to Talking Books. I'm Simon Mattox and I read out loud for a living. Yes, I'm an audiobook narrator and in this series of podcasts I get together with an author whose book or books I've recorded and we talk about writing, recording and all things Talking Books. I'm joined today on Talking Books by best-selling author T.A. Williams. Hello. Hi, nice to see you. I've heard your voice so many times it's good to actually speak. Well, yes. Well, I, we've spoken on the phone a couple of times,
1: haven't we? We have, yeah. So, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm well. Thank you very much. Yeah, just getting old, but uh, apart oh, from that, yeah. Well, I know that one.
0: So, I have just finished recording your rather wonderful book, Murder in Florence, which is coming out. Look at that. So, is that? A, is that? What's that? Is that? A, what? What was that you just showed me?
1: I've got. In fact, if you bear with me, I'll just show you. You can. Anybody listening to this can imagine what they're going to see on the wall behind me. Oh, wow, look at that. There's those, and then there's those. (laughs) Wow, that's
0: amazing. So basically, you're just showing me there's loads and loads of framed covers from your books. So I've been narrating your last three novels in the series. Armstrong and Oscar, is, is is there a series name?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a story here. I mean, as you may well have come across this, that authors these days rarely get the chance to choose their own titles. It's always yes. the the marketing people in the publishers who say, oh, yes, this will sell much better. <laughs> so the, the original idea was to call the series Murder in Tuscany. And then when I first, when I wrote the first one, uh, I think that was the one with um, Murder, well, which came out called Murder in Tuscany. That's the one where Dan... Originally goes over to Italy, goes on the writing course, etc. My original title for that was um, "The Dagger, the Dog, and the dovecut I rather like that. And I thought that maybe if I went on with the alliterative theme throughout, we could make the uh, the series be called "Murder in Tuscany." Anyway, uh, the powers that be said no. Nope. We want it to be apparently the name of the of, of the main character is what sells. Like. Uh, I don't know, Morse or so, whatever it might be. Yeah. So uh yeah, what about Midsummer Murders? Anyway, it uh <laughs> yes it's, that's, that's what they thought, so fair enough. So it's it's now, yes, the um Armstrong and Oscar cozy mysteries. Yes, it's a cosy crime genre. Now I'm assuming that's not your idea. Yep. If, it, if it's just between the two of us, I had no idea there was a genre called Cozy Crime. <laughs> no, no, neither did I, frankly. No, exactly. It's uh, Cozy Crime, I think, basically is, uh, in, in a way, it's similar to my, my romances, which are as compared to uh, a lot of the romances you see on some of the shelves somewhere where there's a sort of a, a bare-chested duke next to a uh, a young lady in <laughs> a diaphanous nighty. Um, there's no. Uh, it's all done in the best possible taste. Yeah. So, the, although there are inevitably in a book called Murder in, there the, there is a murder, but uh, we try and avoid any of that nasty sort of blood spilling and things that people might object to. And the same in the romances. It's very much. Uh, he closed the bedroom door behind them and then made her a cook breakfast in the morning. <laughs> in so I think
0: that's what makes it cozy. I see. So yes, I mean the cozy crime sort of genre is not. Not very cosy for the person who gets murdered, clearly. But um,
1: No, I, I read a, a very good, uh, if I can remember it, a, a very good definition of cosy crime was more or less, it, it described it as being the, the, the lightest of all the crime genres and one where at the end of the book, the reader is able to close the, the, the cover of the book with a smile on their face and sleep comfortably without lying awake all night with the light on. <laughs> So I suppose that's what we're doing. It's Yes, it's crime, but it's not supposed to frighten the pants off you. Okay. Okay. Well, it's it's excellent. I mean, so
0: this is my third one of yours, Murder in Florence. And when does that come out? Do you know?
1: That's coming out on the, I think it's the 7th of, hang on. Yeah, the 7th of April. The 7th of April. That'll be the third one. So the first one came out in October, second one end of January, this one now in uh, April. And I think book four, which I have written, is uh, going to be coming out uh, probably the end of the summer, something like that. Right,
0: because I've noticed. So, I, because I, obviously, I, because I looked you up, because I sort of didn't before. I just was kind of you know locked into those those crime novels, and uh, I didn't know your kind of back catalogue as it were. So, you, you've written a lot
1: of novels. How many have you written? Um, well, I, I won't even tell you how many I've written because an awful lot of them didn't get published. Um, actually, published. There are, he said, counting them on the wall. I think it's twenty-eight at the moment. Wow! Um, but I, in fairness, I have been writing since I was about thirteen. Um, my, at the age of thirteen, I, I wrote. I've still got it somewhere. Um, what was it called? The Lake Dwellers. I don't know if you ever read uh, Swallows and Amazons yes. as, a, as a boy. Yes. yes well, indeed. this was a, a, quite a shameless rip-off of sla- <laughs> uh, Swallows and Amazons. Um, forty-four pages, handwritten in pencil, and to be honest, the grammar was actually better than mine is now, probably. <laughs> and uh, they and that didn't get any further. And then while I was working full time, I used to come home in the evenings and just for, for relaxation, really, I would start writing. And I wrote mainly thrillers to start off with. This is the, the old days when you used to write your book and then you would write to a publisher, right? I mean, a real letter with a stamp. <laughs> And you would send them a synopsis and the first three chapters of your book uh, printed out with return postage or a stamped uh, envelope. And then if you were lucky, they would ask you to send the whole manuscript. So you would end up sending something the size of a telephone book to uh, to these sorry do you remember telephone I books i do remember telephone. i'm definitely <laughs> yeah. a member of the the older not, generation not in the same not in the same lee <laughs> oh, I don't um, know. anyway <laughs> uh, so you, you would send those off and i i sent numerous of those um spent quite a lot of money on stamps got one uh second reading this was from collins actually back in the day when it was before collins became harper collins so when when you say back in the day when are we talking I would have been, well, I was born in 49, came out of university in 71, went to Italy from pretty much from 71 until 80. Um, it would have been the middle of that, so about 1975, something like that. Okay. And uh, I wrote a book which was set, it was a thriller set in uh, in Italy, uh, but it was a sort of a, uh, I suppose nowadays it probably be called a, a, almost a time shift thing where it was based loosely around the prophecies of Nostradamus. Okay, so it had a you know somewhat of a uh, an esoteric kind of uh, feel to it. Anyway, that got read a couple of times by Collins. They were getting very excited about it, and then they sent me a letter, which I still have somewhere, saying, um, "Quotes due to the powerless economic." A situation in the country at the moment <laughs> <laughs> we are unable to take on a new author so what's new oh boy um, and then I kept on I moved on from there to um historical novels I got really hooked on still am for that matter to the middle ages and uh, we always used to go on holiday to the south of France to the area where the Cathars were I Don't know if you've come across the Cathars oh, in okay. your travels they were a uh, um, but they were effectively a, an offshoot of, of Christianity, really, but they were they were deemed uh, to be um, worthy of being uh, eradicated, as far as the Pope was concerned. And so he actually uh, called a crusade. It's the only crusade which has ever taken place in mainland Europe. Wow! And uh, wiped the uh, the Cathars off the face of the earth. You may have heard Simon de Montfort, who allegedly was the the, the, the founder of in this country anyway, that getting away from. Uh, the, the, the power of the king and bringing in more of a parliamentary uh, um, democracy, I suppose. He was actually the son of Simon de Montfort, same name, who was the man chosen by the Pope to wipe out the Cathars. So it all sort of oh, wow. flowed through that. Wow. Anyway, I wrote a, a number of those, uh, again, sent them off to publishers. Nobody wanted to know. And then uh, the 2013, January 2013, I had just got beginning of january i just got my 200 and something rejection from uh, a a publisher and uh, my wife came back from the shops and she got a copy of the western morning news we live down in devon right and uh, there was an article there written by a lady who at the time was a uh, she was the editor i think of it might even have been the bookseller magazine and she was being asked what's going to be big in 2013 and she said, well, in the wake of the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon, mm. um, erotica will do well, but um, probably erotica with a twist. So historical or something, I thought, ah, historical. So I <laughs> historical shall, if I don't want the serious stuff, Excellent. I'll give them a dirty book. <laughs> so I, I, I sat down and spent a weekend trying to uh, to plan out a dirty book and very quickly, very quickly realised that I had... Well, neither the experience, nor, to be honest, the (laughs) desire to write a dirty book. So I turned it on its head and made it a book about somebody like me trying to write a dirty book, not being able to. He gets help from a number of female authors, who, by the way, most of these erotic novels that you see are written by women, not by men.
0: Yes, yes. I've recorded uh, three of them, actually. Have you? All all by the same Female
1: author who is in her eighties and lives in America. Yes, yes. It's well, you know, the imagination's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I know. Anyway, go on. So anyway, yeah, I, uh, I turned it on its head. So basically, he tries to write this novel, which in the course of the book doesn't get written. But it's it's got humour in it, and more to the point, it's got a black Labrador in it, which became my right. sort of trademark, the black Labrador. And I sent that off. There was a new uh, publishing house had just opened, one of the first of the online publishers. Uh, They were an offshoot of, uh, well, they were called um, Carina, and they were an offshoot of Harlequin, Uh, and then subsequently Harlequin, I think, were bought by HarperCollins, and so I got subsumed into that. Um, But anyway, they, uh, I sent it to them, they kept it for six weeks or so, and then I got a wonderful email, uh, beginning of April 2013, from a lady who I love dearly, and will always loved for the rest of my life called Cleo Cornish, who was the uh, the editor I was assigned there, uh, saying, yes, we love it. Here's a two-book contract. Fantastic. And that was the the start of my my published career. And then I sort of, it's moved along from there.
0: What I kind of take from that, it, listening to you, it, is you had 200-odd rejections before that. You'd written a number of novels, and yet you didn't give up. You didn't think, no, oh, well, maybe not. There's a,
1: it, I, I sometimes get asked to do um, blog posts and things like that mm. for people. And one of the questions inevitably that you're asked is, have you any advice for a new author starting out? Well, the advice is basically thick skin persist, because uh, there, there's, whether it's true or not, there, there is the probably apocryphal story of, was it Richard Adams who wrote uh, Watership Down? supposedly it was turned down 20 times and one of the uh, one of the agents that he sent it to sent back a letter saying try it again without the bunny rabbits <laughs> maybe apocryphal I yes. don't know. but anyway yes um so yeah you've just got to keep grinding away really yeah. I, I mean to be honest i i write because i have a very low threshold of boredom and so i need to do something and uh, I just love writing. It's as simple as that, really. And if I can get it published and actually make some money out of it, even better. But it's the writing is the thing that really counts. Great. And you write a lot.
0: I mean, <laughs> yes. you, I mean, I, you know, I've talked to. I guess you're the seventh person I've I've interviewed now. And I think I came across somebody who writes two a year, but most of them write one a year. And they're you know making some of them making notes and on on another
1: idea while they're writing one. But that but you write a lot more than that, don't you? well over over the last I, I suppose normally it's been about 3 a year but wow. over the last 18 months um i because i've got hooked on these uh, murder mysteries now i find um at the moment i'm in the sort of the honeymoon period for them and it, it, i i just love writing them and right. the ideas are still coming um whereas the the romances i was sort of getting myself backed into a bit of a corner basically the story of almost any one of my romances is drop dead gorgeous but not too bothered about it 30 year old (laughs) girl. yeah that's the woman woman. i'm
0: trying to meet the the drop dead gorgeous not necessarily 30 but but you know drop dead gorgeous but but isn't bothered it doesn't even really know she's drop dead gorgeous until somebody comes along and says but no but you are drop dead gorgeous yeah, anyway, sorry, Gary. So she's
1: not she she's not flaunting it. Okay. But uh, she's uh, unattached, and she meets up with a, an equally hunky male, um, pretty much similar kind of age counterpart, who is troubled. Ah. And ah, we yes. discover in the course of the book why he is troubled. And uh, it, I suppose you could more or less summarize the books as will they, won't they, yes. That's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much it. And the thing is, I'm I'm getting to the stage where I love that. you know how can I keep on dreaming up thirty-something, drop-dead gorgeous women, yes, who are unattached. I mean, I, I've even you know I'm, I'm getting towards maybe she's just done ten years for breaking an entry, something like that, <laughs> just come out of the prison. Um, but my one of my most successful ones actually recently, the one that gets consistently, it's been getting the best. Uh, the best reviews was uh, she that my heroine because my heroines have all got a brain they're, they're not just sort of mm. bimbos they are they are actually sort of women with it who do a bit of thinking and she was a captain in the army and I hadn't realised when I started researching it but there are actually women on the front line in the British Army right I, I, no, didn't, I didn't know that either she this particular woman i um, she was in the Royal Engineers and she was doing bomb um, mine clearance wow. and apparently there's a number of uh, i don't know if they're still there but certainly a number of British Army officers of whom quite a few are are female doing that very dangerous job so that, that book started out with her and her at that time boyfriend more or less disarming bombs in tandem and yes you guessed it page three yes he goes up in smoke yeah So, uh, as I say, it's been getting more and more difficult to find a a reason why somebody is uh, in the situation they're in. Whereas with the uh, murder in uh, wherever you like to have it, with Dan and Oscar, that's great. There's all sorts of ideas that that, that occur to me. So, as I say, at the moment, I'm very much enthused. And so I'm probably reading... I think last year I wrote five books. Wow. Um, Wow. But if it's it's flowing, I I let it flow.
0: Yes. And so how long... I mean, I guess it depends on how long the book is. But I mean, I mean, I know you get, I must get asked this all the time. But so how long does it, uh, does it take you to, to write a book, would you say? That?
1: Well, I mean, the, the the fastest I've done, What actually, curiously, that was actually the very first book I wrote. The one which it came out as the one, the very first one to be accepted. Right. And that one, I originally wanted to call it, I um, can't remember what I wanted to call it, but it came out originally as Dirty Minds, which I didn't like as a title. And they've subsequently changed it. It's now called... What Happens in Devon, because I did a series of books for HarperCollins called What Happens in. Yes. Um, but that one, I actually started it on the 3rd of January, 2013, and 80,000 words later, it was the 29th of January. Wow. So really, when, you know, when, when it comes to boring, I think the best I did was 7,000 words in one day. Uh, but that, that was exceptional. Normally, I reckon about three months, something like about three months for a book. Yeah, which is roughly what? other authors I've spoken to
0: said they take is roughly three months.
1: Yeah. Um, Plus or minus. I'm I'm not, I mean, this is where I think it's, it's interesting with the whodunits that one has to have a bit more of an idea about what you're doing. See, the thing about the romances is and the thing I love about writing, to be honest, is that I go into the book, I started off, I know where it's set. I know who the main character is. I know roughly her background I know what's going to happen. I know it's going to have a happy ending if it's the romance or they've got to solve the crime if not. Yeah. But then as we go along, the book actually takes its own route. It sort of morphs into, if I'm really lucky by about, well, if I'm really lucky by about a third of the way through, if not about halfway through, it actually starts writing itself almost. And it actually takes me in directions that I hadn't been expecting. I mean, it may sound, sound totally weird. No, no, no. I remember this was a long time ago. One of my th- thrillers, that uh, never got published. I was writing it, and I came downstairs about 11 o'clock at night and uh, saw my wife in the kitchen, and she said, what are you looking so uh, unhappy about? And I said, well, she's just bloody slept with him, hasn't she? (laughs) (laughs) And this was basically – I said, well, you know, she's only just met him, and they're in bed together. How how can this be? of course, it (laughs) it came out of my head. But at the time, I was really quite in fear, What a slapper. (laughs) How's he doing that? You know? But, uh, yeah, it, it, that's, that's the nice thing. But, of course, when you're writing a whodunit, you need to be a little bit more uh, organised. Have you come across this expression that writers use that you can either be a plotter or a pantser? Yes, I have. Yes, some, one, of, one of the authors mentioned that to me. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely a pantser, as in seat of the pants. So, you know, as I say, I start off having a rough idea of what's going to happen and see where we go. Well, of course, if you're talking about a murder mystery, it's actually quite a good idea for the writer to know who's been killed and who did it before he starts writing the book. Well, uh, this, is, it, this is what I wonder, yes, but... Well, if it's any consolation, I've, the, the, the three that have been, well, the two that have been published so far, and the third that's coming out, when I started writing, I did not know who the murderer was. Okay. And it seems to work. Well, uh, yes, I mean, you know, having
0: narrated all three, there's never a, never a question of a sort of a killer appearing out of nowhere kind of thing. It's, they make absolute logical sense to me. I mean, I think, they're, you know, I think they're great.
1: So Yeah, well, that's good. Thank you very much. But I, th- I think that, that that is something that I, I do notice sometimes because I, I watch, I don't do an awful lot of reading, mainly because I'm writing all the time, but I do in the evenings, I tend to try and catch up on the Midsummer Murders or Endeavour or... One of these um, um what's it murder and death in paradise that kind of okay. thing okay okay um because you can you can pick up obviously ideas from from other people and some of them uh, occasionally they as you just said that they sort of drop in this new character yes. or a, a new rationale mo- motivating somebody of, mm. for which there was absolutely no hint before and I think uh, Agatha Christie who I You know, it's no no surprise that she sold millions and millions of books. I mean, the woman was absolutely brilliant because she gives you all the facts as you go along. Right. Then it's up to you to pick them up, just like Eppu Paarola does, or whoever does. Yeah. Uh, And that's that's the way it should be, hopefully. Yes,
0: and and I, I mean personally, I think the motivation thing is very important because obviously that, that's kind of the world we live in as well is that we look we look at somebody and we go, well, okay, now I can understand why they committed that murder or that crime I mean it's one of the things I found about Happy Valley, which I loved and the writing was fantastic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but I just thought the kind of not the main plot between her and and the and the the the, the guy and all that but but those kind of the sort of almost the subplots with with the you know, in the first series, there's a guy who kind of goes to his boss and asks if he can borrow some money to, for his daughter's education. The guy says no. So then, in the next scene, he, he's speaking to some lowlife saying, "Well, I think you could kidnap his daughter." You know, and bit and you're a bit like, really? You'd go from that to that? Just a little bit over the top. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, you know, I i isn't that just, Maybe that's just me, but I just think, I mean, listen to me, God, I'm going to get hate mail uh, from, <laughs> from people saying, "But Happy Valley's the best thing on." television and of course it was wonderful in many ways but for me i, I want the motivation to be to ring yeah. true and um
1: yeah. you know and 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 in your books i think it absolutely does yeah motivation i think is, is is vital um and ideally i think from a writer's point of view if you can actually come up with f- two three four even half a dozen characters all of whom potentially could mm. have motivation yes that uh, then makes it that uh, because people i think genuinely do enjoy trying to, to, to solve the crime as you, uh, as you go along. And so I'd be reading a lot of the, you know, the reviews that people write and uh, they like red herrings. Right. Um, right. They, you know, they like to be thrown off, the cor- off course a bit. And then you get some of them who said, oh, I knew who it was all the way through. And then I realized at the end that it wasn't him after all. Right. And that's, that's quite uh, refreshing. Yes. And well, one of the things that
0: I love ab- about narrating books uh apart from you know the fact that i, I love the character of dan and and relationship with, with his dog and and his and his whole backstory about his his divorce and his daughter and and all of that um but it's the fact that they're set in in a beautiful part of the world they're set in in yeah. t- in tuscany and also i noticed i mean i suppose because i knew i was going to going to talk to you and this time i was very aware of it but also you you know food is a very important Part of what you do the weather is very important so you know you will comment on the weather you will talk about what food they're eating and it's fantastic to read because it's just like i just like i want to go there i want to go to tuscany now you know
1: yeah the the number of people in reviews who accuse me of uh, you know making them salivate that's that's yes i'm sure i'm sure no no I, i think certainly my my romances are um i think unashamedly escapist right And they're they're providing escape, especially over these last three years with the COVID and so on, providing escapism for the reader, but also escapism for the guy at the other end who's actually writing the thing. I I tend to do more writing in the winter, simply because there's not that much to do during the day because there isn't much day to do it in. And uh, for me, it's really, really, I can escape onto a uh, a Tuscan beach or into the uh, into the hills walking up a strada Bianca with a dog you know that that's yeah that's yeah certainly I get a lot out of it as well so would you
0: ever be tempted to I mean you did live in in, in Italy for what two, yeah. 10 years would you ever be tempted
1: to to go back if I wasn't married to the only Italian who doesn't want to go back to Italy I'd be there <laughs> now Simon um no I'd, I'd love to go back but when I, when I retired from the the day job I would have just shot back over. But no, Maria Angela is very happy in, in England. Um, we, we also have a daughter and we have a granddaughter and, uh, uh, here. And so that, that's a tie. But I think, uh, you know, the older I get, the dodgier my memory gets. But she can remember just how infuriated I used to get with uh, Italian bureaucracy. Right. You know, we think we've got bureaucracy here. It is nothing, nothing in comparison. I used to run, by the day, I used to run a, well, a series of language schools. And I was uh, spent the last four years living in, in Florence, running a school. And then we had satellite schools out in three other towns around. And quite a lot of my time, this is before the days of um, you know, um, online payments and so on, most of the payments were made in cash. And so quite a lot of the time, probably two or three times a week, I had to go to the bank just to bank the cash that had been taken. And going to a bank in Italy wasn't a bundle of laughs because you get in, they have no concept. Well, quite possibly they now have, but in the day they certainly didn't have any concept of queuing. And so you'd find this group of massive people around the lone (laughs) bank teller who was there. And there is nothing worse for an Englishman than people who don't know how to queue. Damn it. I know, I know. It's despicable, isn't it? (laughs) And there'd be some, you know, some some lady behind the counter painting her nails. Gradually, you'd fight your way to the front. And then you'd just get, you know, that it's your turn next. And then just as you're about to step forward, she would look over your shoulder to somebody and say, Ciao, Giovanni, vieni, vieni. <laughs> and so you have to stand by while Giovanni gets pushed to the front. So that used to really piss me off. And, and yeah, Mariangela reminds me of that kind of thing. I think she's right. If we were to go back and live in Italy again, that would probably be the thing is I wouldn't be working over there, so I wouldn't have that to to work that. No. And you could have a you could have a small house somewhere in the Tuscan Hills.
0: Well, except the, except that of course, you know, that you can no longer do that for sort of
1: a hundred thousand euros, can you? No, the the, the, the the deal we have is that if ever, by any lucky chance, and I'm sure it won't happen, any of my books ever make it into TV or film and we get a decent payment from that, okay, that money can be used to buy ourselves somewhere in Italy. But it wouldn't be as a full-time residence. It would be a, just a... Because you, nowadays, apart from anything else after Brexit, you can only go over for three months yes. every six months, yes. something like that, can't you? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that yeah. is remains a distant dream, I admit. Uh,
0: and whereabouts, I mean, you don't have to tell me specifically, but roughly whereabouts in Devon?
1: I mean, just uh, east East Devon. Is the, uh, it's basically just about five or six miles outside of Exeter, village of, well, actually, it's quite big now. It's about two and a half thousand people, I think, live here. But it's very, I was born and bred in Exeter. So we went to Exeter school and so on. And that was uh, what drew me back. Um, and then I got a job when I came back from Italy working in a, a language school in Exeter and uh, ended up running that. And uh, it seemed... So these language cool.
0: schools, so I used to do a lot of English as a foreign language. That's it,
1: yeah.
0: Cassettes to start yeah. with, then CDs, and, you know, unit one, one. That's so right. listen yes. and repeat. Yes. And all those kind of little dialogues, which were sort of, um, hello, can you tell me the way to the post office? Yeah, that's right. Yes. I know It's I down it. the road on the left. Yes. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. And I just, you know, and I did a lot of that, and it was great. Yeah. um but it, but it was just what well, we used to laugh about it. it just struck us that you know everybody who comes to england imagines everybody to be lovely and friendly and of course you know normally so they come over and they say can you tell me where the post office is yes. and they're like no mate we haven't had a post office around here for well, yeah you know it's closed down four years ago you know <laughs> yeah. or whatever you know so it's like you can't <laughs> just forget it yeah, yeah but did you use those did you use those kind of um yeah oh yeah we had resources
1: uh, i mean as i say back in uh, when i was actually teaching so that's back in the early 70s yeah we yeah we had cassettes cassette cassette recorders um and then they moved on to uh cds and i presume that's all online now i I actually gave up that part of my life in 2006 and i think uh, the whole the internet has just taken over completely now i think quite possibly you can Theoretically, learn quite effectively just from sitting and talking to somebody on the other side of a computer screen.
0: Yes, I imagine so. Yes. So I want to talk a little bit
1: about the latest book. So Mm. um, set in Florence,
0: uh, and it's there's a film Mm. that is being made in Florence. Where where was your inspiration for that?
1: Inspiration for that is I I quite like the high life, the flashy uh, millionaire lifestyle. Not that I have anything to do with the flashy millionaire lifestyle, but. I quite like the idea of the fly on the wall in those uh, situations. So I just Mm. thought it'd be quite nice to have, for anybody who's not been following the series, basically Dan is, is English, but he also speaks Italian. But when he sets up his private investigation agency, it's aiming mainly at English speakers, of whom obviously there are a lot in Tuscany and indeed in the rest of Italy. So I thought, well, you know, where could there be a... An English speaking enclave in Florence that I could do, and I thought about, thought about language school, but i I've actually written a uh, one of my romances was set in a, a language school, and I thought well, I'll try and avoid repeating myself, and then it occurred to me, yeah, movie that mm. could be it i do, I do a lot of walking, I used to do a lot of cycling until one of East Devon's potholes did for me cockics, and so I find myself doing oh. w- a lot of walking rather than sitting on a saddle. And uh, that's really good for thinking things through. And it just mm. came to me. I thought, well, why don't we go to at a, a film crew. And then because of my interest and love of all things medieval, it seemed like a sensible idea to set the uh, the movie that they're making around the time of the, uh, the Middle Ages stroke Renaissance. And, of course, yeah. there was one big name that stands out in Florence at the time was the Medici. Yeah. And uh, – uh, Lorenzo the Magnificent, so-called, or at least that's what he called himself, um, and Cosimo. I mean, there was a whole family, a whole dynasty of uh, of these people. And they were they were absolutely ruthless people. Okay, yeah, Middle Ages were a tough time, but you didn't piddle around with the, the Medici. Um, no. No. And so, yeah, that, that was sort of the, the combination of, yes, it, it, it appealed to my interest in medieval history. And also, as I say, this... Business of being able to stick Dan, who was a fairly normal background kind of guy, um, and he's Labrador, who uh, stick him into a situation where the people around him are used to million pound deals and, uh, mm. and so on. And this very famous um, film star who's absolutely drop dead gorgeous, but she meets him in her caravan and she's got curlers in her hair, that kind of thing. I quite like that uh, Sort of juxtaposition yes well i was very
0: impressed by it. have you been on a film set because you obviously know your way around a film set or a, or a
1: tv set oh. <laughs> oh, okay well i was very i was very impressed no it's it's all uh it's, it's just it's, it's all imagination watching too much tv and and research you see nowadays the wonderful thing i mean although there's some terrible things that happen on the internet but at the same time it is an the most amazing resource You can find out absolutely anything. You can see little um, clips on uh, YouTube of uh, behind the scenes of how a movie's being made and so on. And so hopefully people won't, uh, hopefully they'll accept it as being a reasonably true depiction. But no, it's not based on any kind of uh, uh, hands-on experience. Uh,
0: Because it comes across as being very authentic. Apart from the fact well, that, the, that the people are nice to the extras, which on to be honest yes. on on any of the kind of TV or film sets I've ever been on, they're just not. They're just the extras are just kind of treated like the lowest form of life. It's bizarre. Anyway, you know they're kind of they completely mm. segregated from the from the sort of main and they're not allowed anywhere near them. I'm
1: quite sure you have far more experience of uh, television than I do, but... uh, Well, not a lot, but um, I've done bits and pieces, but... Well, if it rang true to you, that's good, because at least, you know, you have a a reasonable idea of...
0: No, no, uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, I I don't want to kind of give it away, but I was very, very pleased to see that there might possibly be
1: a burgeoning romance for Dan. Well, um, I think we're probably uh, allowed to give it away. But yes, I think he may well have uh, found a replacement for the wife that he loved dearly, but who just couldn't hack it with the, uh, with the job. And I you know, can understand both uh, points of view from that point of view. Mm. So, yes, uh, I think uh, things might be might be moving in the right direction for Dan. Nudge, nudge, wink,
0: wink. <laughs> yes, as long as he just closes the bedroom door, and we won't. We won't get, indeed. Yes, and, and don't and, forget and make the cooked breakfast. breakfast in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, no, wonderful. I'm very pleased about that. Um, and uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to thank you hugely and genuinely because you thanked me or in, in in the acknowledgements at the end of this book, which I was very shocked to see and very touched by. That's quite. That's quite normal. Praise where
1: praise is due, buddy. Well, you, know, uh, you do a great yeah, job. Yeah, but well, you're the only person who's ever done it, so thank you. Yeah, well, that's always right. the other people are bastards. I'm lovely. <laughs> I mean, you know, no, 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 it's, it's, it's. I think it's just, you know, if you do the right thing, people should be told. Well, thank you, and and, and obviously, as I said, the
0: cheque is in the post. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So, um, I always say to, because I, I teach audiobooks um, at, a, at a couple of drama schools, and I always say to the, to the students, you know, if you, the main character, try and make the main character as close to your own voice as possible just because it's easier. Otherwise, you know, you've got to kind of constantly be thinking, oh, I'm doing a scouse accent or whatever. I'm doing you know so so yeah, so so Dan is is basically me, I suppose, to me. Um, to, to me, you are Dan.
1: No question. The voice the voice is Dan. Well it's anyway, so it's great. So I feel you know I get very invested in it
0: and, and sort of emotionally I think the fact
1: attached. that it's written in the first person probably yes. helps no, abs- it? no
0: absolutely yeah yeah no you're absolutely right. It does.
1: Which is that? Also, is something new for me because I oh, had okay. only been writing in the third person before. In fact, all of my romances, don't laugh, are actually written through the eyes of a woman.
0: And so, at this point, do you know which one, which sort of genre is is proving to be more popular, or, or do you not know well, things like that at this
1: point? The the in terms of sales, absolutely no question that the whodunits are selling faster. Um, really, okay. there are. Possible, well, possible reasons for that. One is that Boldwood, the people who publish them, are very, very go-ahead and very good when it comes to promotion and marketing. No question right. at all. Um, and I'm sure they, you know, they're ploughing a lot of money into um, adverts and things like that. So that's definitely uh, one thing. Um, the other thing, I think, if you, you know, if you believe what you read. Um, I think ro- uh, romance is still popular, but crime... If, if All you've got to do is to see what's on TV these days. And virtually, I bet you, any evening, there are half a dozen channels with uh, whodunits. Yes. So people do like that kind of thing. Um, and it, I think possibly, like you just touched on before, Tuscany, Tuscany sells. Tuscany does have a, have a cachet to it that uh, people... You know, it's not quite places like Ibiza or Costa del Sol or whatever it might be. Maybe people might feel it's a bit old hat, but somewhere like Tuscany, a lot of people think, yeah, I've, I've heard of Florence or whatever, mm. but they maybe have even been to Florence, but they probably have only been to Florence or th- for that matter, any any of those big cities, be it Rome or Venice or whatever, probably in the summer, fighting their way through the crowds mm. And they don't realise what it's like out of season. No. And they probably don't have that much of a handle on how beautiful, how absolutely wonderful Tuscany is away from Florence. I mean, I lived 10 minutes on the train, well, 12 minutes on the train on a good day from the centre of Florence. I used to take the train in. And we were absolutely in the country. I mean, I I would walk down from this uh, flat that we rented in a, an eleventh-century convent. Can you imagine wow. that? Wow!
0: Wow! The
1: place was—it oh, was stunning, absolutely stunning. The the middle of the cloisters, there was an old rose which had taken over the whole of the cloister, and I once sort of fought my way into it just to see. And the trunk of the rose was like an olive tree. It was—I don't know—about a foot across. So that had been there, probably planted by the original original monks. And we rented a flat there, and I would walk down to the station and get the train to uh, to Florence every day. So it was a sort of a half hour journey for me, including the walking. And I was right out in the country. So Florence, although it's a sort of an internationally known city, it isn't a big sprawling city like London or New York or somewhere. You can very very quickly get out, and then when you do get into the countryside, whether it's the Chianti area, or the Apennines, or whatever—that's it's just beautiful.
0: And I think, as you say, that the Tuscany is—it's kind of aspirational. But also, what's what's very clever about what you do is that because Dan lives there and he he speaks the language, and because he's uh, you know his friend is Virgilio, the the local um, sort of police chief, we see Tuscany through the eyes almost of a local. Yeah. And so you get that kind of insight. As you so you, as you say, you are not seeing it with, with crowds of, of of other tourists. No, you are seeing it no. from the point of view of somebody who who lives there and knows it well.
1: And and I think it's it, in a way, um, I I certainly don't see myself like Dan in the sense of being able to be as, as brave as knowledgeable as he is. But nonetheless, he is effectively an Englishman who speaks Italian, living having putting down roots in a place like Tuscany which is what I did at the time. Mm. And so you can see sort of through the eyes of the Italians, but at the same time, yeah. you've still got enough Englishness left in you to, for example, hate the lack of cues or whatever yes. it might yes. be. So you've got the best of both worlds, yes. really. Um, something uh, I'm conscious of time, but something I
0: wanted to just ask you is something you touched on was marketing, because some of the authors that I've spoken to have been, Younger, they're kind of in their 40s, I guess. And they are, they sort of do a lot of their own marketing. So they have a very big online presence and Facebook and Instagram and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Do you do any of that? Well, I, I have to have a, a Facebook and a, a Twitter presence, but literally all I do is stick up a tweet a day just saying new book coming out or had this great review or whatever it might be um i retweet a few people and as far as facebook's concerned maybe once a month put something up there that's about as much as i do but yes as you say a lot of authors are far far more proactive as far as that's concerned as far as i can <laughs> go back to what i said before i spend all my time writing i don't really have an awful lot of time for uh for doing i mean i have a very good friend who is uh, a fellow author she and i were in the same stable with uh, Harper Collins before uh, we both moved on she now does completely self-publish her stuff and she's making a mint i'm sure i don't know the figures but she is doing very very well because effectively everything that the book makes she gets uh, but she has to work really hard at doing the uh, the marketing and the advertising and so on to go with it. Whereas for me, especially at you know the ripe old age of seventy-three, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'm happier writing the books and let somebody else worry about flogging them. Really, yeah. So, and if, as I say, if if it looks as it looks at the moment, if these uh, whodunits have struck a chord, then that's great. Uh, it's down to them for having uh, having known how to promote them, and you know, it's and hopefully down to me for having managed to come up with the the right combination mm. of where it's set, the right cocktail of uh, location and, uh, and the characters. Yes. And the
0: Labrador. Don't forget the Labrador. D- we could never forget Oscar. <laughs> He's terrific. Um, and I think you said, have you just lost? Well, not dog? just a few years ago. Oh, we, okay. uh,
1: we, we used to have labs. and Our last lab was a big black lab uh, called Merlin who was just, he was just wonderful. He was everything that Oscar is, really. He's just, you know, semi, semi-human. semi In fact, an, an awful lot more human than some humans, really. You know, he he could actually pick up, if you were unhappy, he would actually come along yeah. and put his nose in your lap. That's, that's, they're yeah, beautiful that's dogs. I mean, and
0: they're proper dogs, Labradors. Yes, right, yes. I mean, I, I used to have... Um, a Cavapoo. I mean, I'm ashamed. I'm slightly ashamed to even say the word, you know, it's just one of those kind of designer crossbreeds, like Cockapoo and Cavapoo yeah, yeah, no, and Labradoodle yeah. and all that. Um, and she was lovely. And, and you know, we, it was family dog. We all adored her. I mean, my son sort of went online and when he was eight or something was, you know, Googling cute dogs. And we came up with that breed, but my uncle used to have uh, used to have Labradors, had two Labradors and that yeah, they're just proper. Proper
1: lovely dogs. They're real dogs. They're they real, dogs. real dogs. Yeah. And they, yeah. They, they, the, the lovely thing about them is they are, well, I, I was about to say they're useless as guard dogs, but my sister in law, whose name is Pat, this will be significant at the moment, um, my sister in law, whose name is Pat, uh, she and her husband, my brother, used to run a sub post office. And Pat used to act <laughs> as. Yes, you've got. Yes, six,
0: okay. I'm post- with you. I'm with
1: you. You're, you're, you're ahead of me there, right? And uh, she said that the worst dogs for having a go at your ankles, in fact, were Labradors, simply because you look at a lab and you think, ah, oh, and you walk in the gate and it goes. <laughs> so uh, they, they they can be territorial. Ours never were. Um, I think the, the worst that either of our dogs would have done would have been somebody, you know, somebody come walking in, they'd have tripped him over, you know, just lay down in front of him and have their tummy tickled. Through. Yes. Oh, lovely. Um, I just, well, it's been
0: such a a joy talking to you. Thank you. Um, I was going to say, do you listen to audiobooks?
1: Do you know? I I, I read very little, and I've just literally five days ago got myself a new phone. This is, you know, the one I had before was more or less steam powered. Okay. And this one theoretically is going to allow me to. uh, to listen to audiobooks. And so I, I really must, uh, what I'm planning, I'm actually going up to London just for the day on Thursday. And I thought I was going to, I would take Murder in Chianti, uh, your uh, version of it. Okay. And uh, listen to it all the way through, because uh, I've only l- listened to bits of your narration. I haven't actually listened to either of the books that I've see- heard so far. Okay. I think it's only fair to you that I should listen to one right well, the way through. Again, you see, what, what a nice man. I mean, because
0: most of the authors I've spoken to have said, "Yeah, I've never listened to one of my books. Uh, I've listened to little bits, maybe listened to you know the first five minutes, but I can't." But for different differing reasons, some of them are like, "Oh, I can't bear it because I think, oh, I shouldn't have written that, or I should have written that better, or something." Otherwise, like because i I you know by the time I get around to listening to the book, I've already read it so many times and proofread it and this that and the other whatever. I can't bear. I just want to leave it behind. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think personally, if I'd written a book, I'd be kind of interested to hear what it
1: sounded like, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's something I want to do. Also, don't forget that, as already referenced, I'm getting old and rickety. Therefore, it's quite good to remind myself of what happens in the damn thing. Well, because yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so I don't start repeating myself, but also little, picking up little things like, uh, you know, just exactly at what point in the book did his wife say, stuff it, I'm definitely leaving or whatever um so right. you know there's, there's 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 all kinds of reasons for doing it but as I say in principle I think it's it's only fair on you I should hear you or uh, hear you all the way through well thank
0: you that's very that's very kind um so, but so you don't listen to as a general you haven't listened you know listen to other people's as a general you know? well, I don't
1: but I, I, as I say I I'm really I, I'm an extremely boring person I just sit here you know writing uh alternatively I go for a walk and then maybe stick on a Who Done It at the moment, just to keep the, uh, as Hercule would say, the little grey cells still ticking over. So even even your kind of TV watching is Who Done It, isn't that sort of slightly a busman's holiday for you? Well, what's it, what's interesting is that when 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 I'm writing the romances, I, I, I never, I don't think I've actually read a romance apart from one or two that I've read for friends who wanted a, a review. Hmm. I I would never really dream of picking up a romance and reading it. Um, Whodunits, I'm reading my way through the whole Agatha Christie canon at the moment. And uh, that's... i tell you what I did do. I bought myself the complete works of Conan Doyle. And I'm a bit disappointed, really, with Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes... uh, I was reading the... Just the other day, I was reading The Hound of the Baskervilles. And, yeah... It's all right. I mean, it is of its time, and you know, I think things have got a bit more sophisticated since. But pretty much knew from about halfway through what it was all about, Mm. and who you know who'd done it, and so on. So uh, that was a bit of a surprise. But yeah, I don't do an awful lot of 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 research reading, but at least I've I've more or less made a, a conscious decision that in the evenings, anything after about eight o'clock at night, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit down and start writing again, having done it all day. And as already mentioned, my coccyx have been playing up. So yeah. I tend to sit and just watch something on the TV. And at the moment, uh, the moment Roman, I'm recording the uh, Paris-Nice uh, cycle race, because I used to do a lot of cycling. Right. And it's uh, I mean, I, utterly boring to anybody who doesn't like cycling, I tell you. Yesterday, they were just going 160 kilometres flat. <laughs> From one place <laughs> to another, but uh, full marks to the people doing the commentary for managing to keep people's interest. But you know, watch a bit of that, and then yes, at the moment I'm watching Who Done It's just because it might uh, spark off a, mm. an idea or two. But the other, the other place for getting the ideas, frankly, is the news. Just listen the the local the Express and Echo, uh, Exeter's local news, Exeter's Express and Echo. Yeah, you'd be amazing the kind of stuff you pick up there about people who, uh, you know, duffed somebody up for. Uh, for a fiver or whatever it was. It's a, you know file that away and think about it. Yeah, terrific. Well, so it sounds like there's hopefully plenty more to come. So far so good. Yes. I've written the next two and uh I'm just next one is going to be um Murder in Siena. Uh and that's which is about forty, fifty kilometers south of Florence. Okay. So we're still in the same area, okay. still in Tuscany. Um that one takes place in a uh there's a scientific symposium taking place and people start dying. And uh, it just so happens that in the hotel where the symposium is taking place is where Dan and, spoiler alert, his girlfriend <laughs> are, uh, are having a, a nice weekend together. Uh, and then the, the fifth one is a bit of fun. It's back to where I originally started working in Italy, which is up in the, in the Alps, in the uh, Valley of Aosta, which is the, the valley that goes up to the Mont Blanc Tunnel through that way and uh, there's uh, I've got that set amongst a group of uh, you'll come across the word when you start th- uh, narrating it ufologists
0: ufologists
1: basically people who are deeply into alien life and oh, UFOs oh,
0: oh.
1: Uf- ufology in Italian Uf- ufologists and, yeah. so uh, that's that'll give you something to get them. and the the sixth one in the in the series is going to be murder uh, on the Riviera so Bit of bit of everything, really. Wow! So
0: you've already written two more, and you've got yeah. third third one in the offing. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I mean, I I hope I get the nod to uh, to carry on
1: with Dan. Oh, you, you you. There's no question about that. Absolutely, you are you are Dan. Simon, no. question. I'm Dan,
0: baby. That's me. Well, I love it. I I, I mean, I I really do. I genuinely.
1: Well thank th- thank you seriously thank you very much indeed for, for bringing a character to life i mean it's 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 okay next step is the the, the hollywood blockbuster but having a, another person who actually manages to to reproduce to me in my own head what i think the guy sounds like oh, that's that's remarkable thank you that's lovely that's lovely okay. yes and obviously the hollywood blockbuster <laughs> i suspect I,
0: get, I might not get i might get a look in for that no, one. No, or even I, or even even the the bbc
1: you know I, make, I did like that. Your comment to me about you think you might be in with a shout for the part of the Labrador. <laughs> I might be. You never know. I mean, I don't know. Just um, grow a
0: couple of legs, mate. Grow yeah. A couple of what, legs. What's his name? David? Um, was it not? Not David. Andy Circus did uh, did the gorilla, didn't he? In, in some movie or other. So I might. You know, if yeah, might,
1: give you know, it time. Yeah, yeah. You know, you never know. Work on your wagging.
0: <laughs> I, will, I will definitely work on my wagging. <laughs> <laughs> It's, an, it's been a delight to talk to you. Uh, and likewise. and uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. And we we'll look forward to, uh, to, to the next two, three in the series. Great. Unit 1. 1. Listen and repeat. Dan wants to deposit some money at an Italian bank. Listen as he waits patiently to give the money to the Italian bank teller. Hello. Can I deposit this money, please? No. Pardon? No. Sorry, I need to deposit this money. No. I beg your pardon? No. Why not? It's not your turn. But I'm first in the queue. Ciao, Giovanni. Ciao, venne, venne. Ciao, Paolo. Grazie, grazie. Dan waits patiently for Giovanni to complete his transaction. Hello, me again. I'd like to deposit this cash, please. No. I'm sorry? No. Why not? It's a not. Your turn. Alessandro, ciao. Bene, bene. Grazie mille, Paolo. Grazie mille. Dan waits patiently for Alessandro to complete his transaction. Hello, me again. Uh, can I deposit this cash, please? No. Sorry? No. Look, I've been waiting. It's not your turn. Ciao, Tommaso. ven, Ciao, Paolo. Grazie, grazie. Dan waits patiently for Tommaso to complete his transaction.
1: Ciao, Paolo.
0: Grazie, grazie. Hello. It's me. Again. There doesn't appear to be anybody else in the bank now. So... I'd like to deposit this cash, please. No. I'm sorry? No. Uh, Why not? There's nobody else here. It's lunch break. Ah! We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more in the series, please visit our website. www.talkingbooks.org.uk